First Peter chapter 4, we're going to ambitiously handle the first two verses today. All of you probably have your favorite sport uh, that you like, and you could tell, tell me about the greatness of that sport, or maybe even your recreation, your favorite hobby. Uh, and pretty much uh, all of them have good things about them, except for golf. Uh, How's for you, Dwayne? Good to see you this morning. Uh, yeah, golf's kind of a funny sport, isn't it? You hit your ball, and then you go look in the weeds to find where, where it landed, right? It's like training a puppy or something like that. It takes off on you, and you got to go chase after it. No, I'm just kidding. I enjoy golf. Um, eh, not that much, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, my favorite sport is baseball, but I did play uh, a little other sports, too. I played soccer growing up, and I played a little bit of basketball, and then in high school, I tried to play football, and football has one great thing about it. Just in, well, there's a couple of great things about it. One is that you get to hit people, and it's it's like it's a encouraged. It's encouraged, you know. In every other place, you get in trouble for doing such things. But uh, anyways, one of the great things about football, and I didn't realize this before really high school, is all the gear. All that gear. I remember uh, checking out the gear, uh, you know, one of that first weeks of practice once we got to the place where we could put our pads on, and they just start handing out all this stuff. And as someone who never played football before, I'm looking at these things going, where do they go? You know, I got all these pads, and they explained to me where they went and all these things. And that was just, you felt awesome once you got it all on, and you, you know, you, you, you felt bigger and invincible and uh, there's something great about football putting on all that gear because you know you're ready. I remember also uh, during that time they, uh, for the linemen, they they had a guy come and he was selling these gloves and they were black. They were black and you put them on your hands and they, these are hitting gloves and so you could really punch somebody in their face mask and it didn't hurt you. It was so great. And I remember putting these things on with my full gear and going, man, I could handle anything right now. This just feels awesome. Uh, you realize that there's a progression of that kind of stuff. If you look at uh, football, when some of you played, they were just wearing leather helmets and stuff like that. And uh, uh, some of you kids are going, did they really do that? Yeah, they really did. It's pretty awesome. It's amazing. That's when men were men back then. Uh, yeah, right. Just a leather helmet. Um, you look at that and you realize that they're always saying you need to be more prepared, right? They realize that because people get hurt, they go, well, we're going to try to fix that so you won't get hurt and you'll be more prepared uh, for the football game. And uh, sports is great. And we even talk about it sometimes in terms of war and stuff like that, but it's just a game, right? Um, what we're talking about here this morning has some connections to sports, But really, the greater connection is that of a war, a battle, um, personal battles that we would have to face. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about how to be prepared for battle, how to be ready to go, how to be fit in such a way, have the right tools. I I realize that uh, most of us have that in us that we realize when danger is coming, uh, that you should be prepared. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at First Peter chapter 4, the first two verses. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you these first two verses. 
God's word says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the, for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. And God, we ask your blessing on your word. Help us to uh, take it in. Help us to embrace it, to treasure it. And then as you see fit, that we would apply it in ways that would be effective for us. God, do your work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us the last month or so, maybe longer, uh, we've been in chapter three and over and over and over again, it's talked about suffering, suffering. And really one of the big uh, themes and purposes of the book of First Pe- Peter is to prepare his readers for suffering. Uh, one of the worst feelings uh, of a person is when they are unprepared, when they come upon something that they could have been prepared for, but w- they weren't. And th- the idea that they're immediately overwhelmed, immediately they know they're going to lose. And this morning, as we looked at God's word, I want to tell you that God wanted to prepare the readers of First Peter, including us, to be prepared for what comes ahead. Uh, what does come ahead? I know that for those of you who have lived quite a while, um, you realize that uh, the word that we use over and over for these days is unprecedented. And we say, uh, I, I have nothing to compare this to. I, I didn't, haven't lived in a more difficult and uncertain time. And so how do you prepare for the days ahead as God's people? How will you be ready? And I want to tell you that uh, as I look at these couple of verses here this morning, uh, these are exciting and helpful verses for those of you who have trusted in Christ, for those of you who desire to walk with him, for those of you who desire to be prepared for whatever might come. He wants to prepare us. And so as we look to God's word, we will see this morning really two things. Uh, that we can do and be and be ready for as we're prepared uh, for days of suffering. My first point this morning, verse one, is lock and load. Lock and load. I'm not a big gun guy. I wonder if there's anybody here today that has guns at home. Anybody, uh, any Kern County members, you know. uh, (laughs) That's always funny to me. Uh, I grew up in Santa Barbara, and we just didn't have any guns. And we did have goats, but no guns. Uh, but um, yeah, it just uh, I was unfamiliar. And then I, I married into a family from Oregon uh, that did hunting and fishing. And uh, my sister married a gunsmith. And so now I know a lot more about guns. Get your guns. Get your guns. If I said that to you, you, you would, you'd know what that means, right? That there's danger coming and that there's this idea that I, I've been in some of your garages and you've uh, shown me uh, the arsenal and the ammo cache, right? You know, there's stacks and stacks. And, and a lot of you will say, well, this is 
I got some here, but then I got some others in some other places, and you've got them spread out throughout your property. Um, There's probably a cave in the back or something. But anyways, uh, this idea that that's, uh, that's there, but then when it's ready to be used, you go get your weapons and you load them and you're ready to go. You're ready to defend. You're ready to go to battle. As we look at this, this first verse, we're going to see how we do that for our spiritual battles, for the suffering that comes ahead. And in verse 4, it says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Since Christ suffered in the flesh. If you look back to chapter 3, you'll realize that's a reoccurring thing. Christ suffered. And th- this idea of in the flesh, it wasn't like... Uh, when you when you look at Christ, there's always these difficult uh, things to know about Christ because you realize that he is God in the flesh, right? That he is God, he is, he is deity, he has uh, powers and uh, knowledge that we don't have, but he is also in the flesh. And so some of what we look at uh, as his suffering, sometimes you go, well, that wasn't that bad because he was God. And yet as you look at his life, his whole life was suffering. His whole life. Uh, It's not that he didn't have a a good day in there. It's that recorded for us are a lot of bad days, both of rejection, of uh, of uh, this idea that he was arguing with people, that he, the government, the, the, both government, the actual government, and then the, the church leaders, or not the church leaders, but the religious leaders of the day, they were against him. So there was all that. Uh, there were people that were taunting him as he went about his ministry. He was rejected by even his disciples at times and questioned. And then it culminates in that last week of his life where he was, uh, this, we think of the Passion Week and uh, we, we look at all those events and we realize that there's just more and more suffering, more rejection. And then it culminates in that one act where he died on a cross. He died. And his suffering really reached uh, the pinnacle, the the the. The greatest way to suffer is what? To suffer unto death. And so we see that in Christ. And now in chapter 4, he says, since Christ suffered in the flesh. And he's saying, since Christ suffered and died, suffering to the point of death, in the flesh like you, like you, I'm going to tell you something. And what is it? Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. This word arm, uh, it really, it isn't used anywhere other in scripture, but in extra biblical literature, we know that this is the, the, the picture of a soldier getting ready for battle. And when a soldier gets ready for battle, uh, in the U.S., uh, we, we don't have, a soldier's day is not every day of battle. But there are times when they realize that conflict is necessary and even imminent. They get ready for battle. And, and when you're not getting ready for battle, when you're just training or uh, you're just kind of learning, there's, there's a casualness to it, right? But when you know you're going to battle, you're careful how you tie your shoes, right? You're, you're careful uh, about your weapon. You look at it and you say, it matters if my weapon's going to work. It matters. 
Why does it matter? It matters because of what I might have to go through, what I might have to use it for. He says, arm yourselves, arm yourselves. And this is uh, one of those things that says, you know, I can relate to that. If you know the battle's coming, that you should be ready for it. And, but, but I think that this is very fascinating and, and it's very different than the way we think. He says, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. He doesn't say, go get your guns. He doesn't say, you know, uh, be, be concerned about, you know, if you have enough ammo. And, and there are some pictures of that in scripture, especially in the book of Ephesians. But the picture here is this, is your mind, is what you're thinking about. He says, I, I want you to arm yourself. I want you to think in a similar way as to Jesus Christ himself when he thought about suffering. I, I want you to think about that this morning. As you think about preparing for maybe difficult days ahead of suffering for yourself, it's all about what you're thinking about. What are you thinking about? Now, how do you deal with difficult times? I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of different ways that people deal with difficult times. They say, oh, you know, I'm so stressed out. I need just to go home and have a glass or a bottle of wine. That's a way to deal with difficult times. Some of us uh, go to food and we say, well, I just need to go eat. I need a, uh, a great meal of some burnt um, meat of some sort. Uh, others of you go for the ice cream. Uh, you say, that's the way I'm going to handle this. Or maybe I just need to, to chill out and watch uh, something, uh, uh, you know, my favorite show. And maybe I need to watch some baseball with some cardboard cutouts or something like that, right? Uh, some of you, uh, I don't want to say you're dumb. It just is, uh, it's not, how should I say this? Carefully is how I should say this. Some of you say, man, I'm so stressed out. I'm going to go watch the news. <laughs> I'm not saying that's stupid. Let's go on. Uh, um, but, but how do you handle life? How do you handle difficult times? The, in this passage right here, he's wanting us to know how to handle suffering. And, and I want to say that suffering starts out this big usually. Just an inconvenience. I didn't get what I wanted. Most of you don't like not getting what you want, right? We're all three-year-olds at heart. Unfortunately, a lot of times the temper tantrum comes with it, right? I didn't get what I wanted. <clears throat> That's okay. It's okay that you didn't get what you wanted. Uh, you and I aren't the most important uh, part of the universe right now or ever, right? What happens when you don't get what you want? How, what happens when there's this uh, agitation to your soul, right? And sometimes that grows and it layers like there's two or three or four or five or 10 things that you didn't get what you wanted and it layers on top of each other. And sometimes those things of, aren't like this, they're like this, 
right? They're, they're huge things. They're, they're, they're beginning to be bigger. And then they layer up again and it becomes more significant. And, and maybe even it becomes uh, some kind of hatred or agenda, right? When you realize relationally that, that, that people uh, don't like you, they don't like you. They, and they're willing to express that and know in certain terms, Maybe it's when, for some of us, we, we wonder about what happens in the government and the, uh, is it antichrist and, and what is going to happen with that. Maybe it's very specific and, and it c- continues and, and suffering continues. And, and, and we know from other countries and through looking at the scripture that vile practices have happened to God's people. Uh, a lot of times we think in our minds that if you follow after Christ, my life will be happy and good and I'll get to live in Bear Valley Springs. And it'll be great. Uh, I, I want to tell you as you read the scriptures, it's not that every day is bad. It's that as we follow after Christ on that path, guess what's going to be there sometimes? Suffering. To varying degrees at varying times. And at times even suffering unto death. And so he says to arm yourself with the same way of thinking. I think this brings up for us this idea of asking the question and studying and considering the scriptures of how it is that our minds would be ready for this. I think back to in chapter 1 of First uh, Peter, he, he said this earlier. Um, I think this was even pre-quarantine. Not just that it was written, but that we went over it, okay? First um, uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. What is that? It's that same, that's that same idea. Arm your minds. He, he's speaking of a, a soldier getting ready and the idea of girding and really making sure everything's ready because action is coming and it's your mind that is the place that needs to be ready. And I want to encourage you, it's not just your actions. In fact, your actions um, are easy and you can put on a show of what you're acting like. But the real uh, preparation place is your mind, what you're thinking about. It's critical. It's a critical piece for you to be ready for suffering. And I want to say this, to not just be ready, but to persevere in suffering, if you're struggling right now, uh, get a hold of your mind. Get a hold of your mind. Realize it's not time to veg out in front of the TV. It's not time to uh, poke through Facebook. And it, I've said this before, but if you can't handle it, be honest enough to say I can't handle it. Um, answering all the trolls on Facebook uh, might seem like fun initially, but it might bother your soul. I want to encourage you that your mind is critical for you to be ready and for you to persevere in the midst of suffering. He he goes and he says, it's about your mind. It's not your guns and ammo. It's not night vision goggles or smart bombs. It's your mind. And your mind is to be the same. That attitude of your mind is to be the same as that of Christ. I'll just say a couple of things right now in terms of thinking about how Christ uh, handled suffering. The first, the first thing I would say comes to my mind is humility. 
humility. Philippians chapter two, as you look at, uh, it, it talks about how we're to follow in Christ's footsteps and be ready and have, have this attitude. What attitude? The same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but in humility, he, he humbled himself, right? And this idea of humbling yourself uh, is tough for us as God's people in the United States of America because we always say, I have rights. I have rights. I'm going to do. I'm a commander. I'm not a follower, right? And so as, as you look at what Christ did, one of the things that he did, he humbled himself. And, and really, uh, in humility, he didn't say, I won't. And I I don't deserve, but that he did suffer. He was humble enough to suffer. Which brings me to the second point, is really his willingness to suffer. His willingness. We'll look at it later, but uh, as Jesus looked to the cross, it's as if he said, I can and I will do that. I can and I will do that at the cost of my comfort. I will suffer. Um, I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, the deal with suffering is their enemy has a plan for your life when it comes to suffering. And the Lord has a plan for your life when it comes to suffering as well. And I want to say this, that uh, of course God's plan is going to prevail But the enemy, what does he want to cause you to do? To quit. To quit. And so as you look at the attitude of Christ, I would say this, that his suffering uh, was meant for him to quit too, right? That it was supposed to be so ominous that him and the Father would separate their, their wills, right? The, the desire, the plan, that they, they would deviate from the plan. Of course, Jesus did not do that. But know this, that Jesus' attitude was, I can and I will, I will suffer, even at the cost of my comfort. I, I want to encourage you, if, if your comfort is all you're seeking in this life, if your temporal happiness if your popularity, if that's what determines what you will and won't do, I'll tell you, when you're on the path that God wants you to be and suffering shows up, you'll just make a U-turn and go the other way. You'll just quit. you say, this path isn't worth it. We'll get to this. But to know this, that we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude of Christ. In verse 1, it tells us some exciting things. In the the middle of verse 1, it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh. Did you catch that? Jesus suffered in the flesh. We're supposed to do it in the same way. If you suffer in the flesh as you walk with Christ, know this, it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Has ceased from sin. Look at that, and you, you think about uh, sin, the discouragement of sin. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have been lost in sin? 
lost in sin and, and all the guilt and shame that come with that. And this idea that you couldn't quit, you couldn't stop, you couldn't be different. You know that feeling of overwhelming, you're stuck, and the scripture says the word uses the word enslaved to sin, right? Can't get out of it. There's no way out. And yet you read the scripture right now, and it says, whoever has suffered, following in the sufferer's path, whoever has suffered, ceased from sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, um, it shows the transformation and the change from death to life. A life that was once dominated and enslaved by sin is now the victorious sufferer. The victorious sufferer. And I love these two things that come together, the, the suffering, but also the victory. We looked at that in the last chapter. We saw it over and over again. That, and this is the question that we should have to ask over and over again. What is it? Is it worth it? Is suffering worth it? And I want to tell you, if you're following after Christ, it is worth it. Both for the eternal pleasure, but also knowing that there's freedom from sin. There, there's freedom from the bondage that once determined your life and the course of your life. Suffering in the flesh brings about ceasing from sin. It's not that the uh, believer never sins again but they no longer are the ones enslaved to it, stuck in it. Now we become those who are victoriously suffering. I want to just remind you that suffering is the enemy's tool, right? It's to cause us to want to quit or to train us to quit, to give up or to surrender. And I want to tell you, once you've surrendered to Christ, you never surrender again. You never surrender to sin again. There, there's never this idea that uh, sin is too much for you. And it's, it's this idea that you have to go back. You don't have to go back. You never surrender. We suffer whatever the path may be. Which brings us to verse 2. We now live for the will of God. We're ready. We're armed for the battle. We've locked and we've loaded. Uh, we're ready to go. But now we live for the will of God. Verse 2 so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Once again, he says, in the flesh, in the flesh. He's talking about life down here, right now. What should we be doing? He says, because Christ suffered in the flesh, we now suffer in the flesh with him. What do we do in the rest of these days in the flesh? How much time you got? Some of you are wondering, does he mean like in this service, like in this message? Or No, I'm, I wonder how much time you got. I've thought about it over and over again. Uh, do you know what the life expectancy is in the United States? Some of you have heard the news over and over again. What's the year? Does anyone know? 78. 78. Uh, some of you are living on borrowed time right now, right? You're overachievers. You're overachievers. Sounds great until you realize that the finish line has been moved farther, right? Uh, uh, 78, yeah. It's funny in the scriptures, it says, it talks about in the book of Psalms at 70 or 80, you know. Some of you even reached 90. Good to see you over there, Joe. Uh, praise God, praise God. Uh, that's awesome, that's awesome. 
uh, 90-year-old out in the parking lot worshiping God with us. We look at this, we don't know how much time we've got. Uh, For those of you who are younger, uh, you do the math. Maybe you'll live to be 70 or 80 or 90. Maybe that's your life where you're going to be. I don't know. Maybe it'll be much shorter than that. I've known people who have lived a lot shorter than 70 or 80. But generally, that's about where we're at, 70, 80. Um, Back in the Bible, but now too. And but what do you do with the days? It doesn't matter uh, how old you live to be or how, you know, what are you doing with the days? And, and you're here this morning because you're alive and you're living in the flesh right here. And he's saying, what should you do with your days? How should you live this life right now, the rest of your days in the flesh? He's going to go on to say in the weeks to come as we look at this passage, what we've done too much of in the days past. But what are you going to do with the days of the future? He says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, or no longer for human passions. And what I want to say about that is this. Human passions are just going out and getting whatever you think is best for you wanting and grabbing for the things that you look at, you taste, you, you yearn in your heart for, First John tells us. It, it's this picture of say, saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to taste whatever I want to taste. Whatever looks good to me, I'm going to grab for it. I'm going to pursue anything that seems like it will bring me pleasure. I want to say anything that comes to my mind. I'm not going to hold back. I I just, this is the way I talk and this is what I say. I'm going to do whatever seems beneficial for me. And anything that looks good, I'm going to go for it. You know what that describes? Is living for human passions. Living for human passions. And he says, that's not the way to go for you. For the rest of your days, the, the time the Lord gives you, that's not the way to live. He says, I, I got a better way for you to live. I, I got a different way. Remember, you were enslaved to sin. You were stuck there. You couldn't get out. That's what you were doing. It didn't work out very well. And that's why we've trusted in Christ. We've, we say, now I follow her. I, I'm a follower of the sufferer that suffered unto death, but won the victory. And so as I follow on this path of suffering, I live a different way. No longer for human passions, but now look at it, but for the will of God. Will of God. Um, You're complicated people with a complicated life living in a complicated world. And so it's hard to make decisions, right? How many of you... Struggle making decisions. Struggle making decisions now, right? Right? Elders are making struggling making decisions now, right? We we're not clear on what is going to happen in the in the future, and like we're trying to take steps. And when you don't know and you haven't been there before, it's hard to make decisions. And so you start putting things. You think of about uh, not to. I know we have some young people here today, but like uh, you, you think about the senior in high school going to his virtual school, right? 
staring at his computer going like this. And then people at church ask him, what are you going to do? I don't know. What am I going to do? I don't know. Well, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. Well, what do you like? What makes a lot of money? You know, what, uh, what, what can you do? What are you good? And there's all these, these, these things that come in and it becomes this confusing mess. And what are your friends doing? And what do most people do from Tehachapi? And how does these things come together? And you're just like, ah, I can't figure it out. It's too complicated. You know why it's complicated? Is because we sometimes say human passions will help us make great decisions. Never happened. Never happened. When we seek to make decisions based on human passions, instead of the the will of God for us, you know, God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And so he's not just concerned about your soul in a moment in time for eternity, right? He's concerned about your life. And so for you to uh, say, I I love you, God, I I thank you for saving my soul, but now I'm going to go back to those human passions and do whatever I want. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, that's not the right question. The question is, what does God want for me? What is God's will? As we look at the scripture, it's this simplifying and uh, simplifying and helpful and refreshing question of what is the will of God. This is what I now should live for, for the rest of my time here, whatever it is. And, and I, I think especially one of the difficulties of being older is you look back on your past and you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Hey, forget about that stuff. That's been covered by the blood of Jesus. If, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer have to be guilty for the things of the past. You've been washed clean. And the question is, what are you going to do with the rest of your days? The rest of your days will be seeking out the will of God. I find it interesting that Jesus, as he was going to the cross, it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, and he went uh, a little beyond them with his disciples and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Even Jesus himself, as he went to his suffering, what did he do? He was seeking God's will, his father's will, and left us that same pattern for us to think in such a way. And I, I want to tell you, suffering was before him. He knew it. He knew it. But knowing, but, but knowing this, that that was God's will, it simplified his next steps. It caused him to move forward knowing that it was the Father's will. What will the future hold for you and for me? Maybe tough days of trials and suffering. What are you going to do? I have three questions for you this morning just to end up our time. Just ask yourself, how do I prepare for suffering? How do I prepare for suffering? Now, um, if I told you uh, we're going to go someplace, we're going to go someplace, get ready. Get ready. 
you're going to have some questions, right? Well, where are we going to go? If I told you we were going to go on a trip to Alaska, you would pack differently than if I said we were going to Mexico, right? It's different. It's a different climate. And you say, well, what if you don't get to know the steps ahead? How do you get ready? Get ready in your mind. Get ready in your mind. Get ready to go. Get ready to go. This is how you prepare for suffering. You get ready in your mind. And, and so as we do, do that, which brings me to my second question, you, you have to ask this question, what was Christ's attitude regarding suffering? And maybe a second question that goes, what is my attitude towards suffering? And how can I abandon my attitude towards suffering and have the mind of Christ, the similar mind to him? Two things we pointed out, I'm sure there's more, is that he, he was humble he was humble and he was willing. He's humble and willing to, to suffer and to take those steps ahead. There's probably more, but we can start there. Uh, what is my attitude towards suffering? And then lastly, to ask this question, what does God have for me right now? Well, what is the step or, or the life that he has for me right now? I want to encourage you, uh, if it's clear to you what God has for you right now, Don't sit on the floor crying and saying, it's not fair. Don't do it. Don't don't, uh, be crippled. You know, uh, let me not, uh, forgive me for saying this if it's overstepping. I don't think it is. Some of us say, uh, it's not fair that I'm in this situation. Maybe it's your health right now. It's not fair. Uh, If you're sick right now, I want to tell you that somehow that's part of God's will for you. And and you can sit there all day long and uh, cry out that it's not fair. But if if the news report on your life is that you're sick, you realize that somehow that's part of God's plan. I want to tell you, some of you are in difficult marriages right now. And I want to tell you that God has somehow brought you for this day in this marriage. And I want to encourage you. That's what he has for you right now. And for you to be able to say, I'm I'm going to seek to follow Christ in this. And if even it's suffering, I'm going to continue. You look at relationships with family and friends or maybe your job situation. and I want you to embrace that and to say, somehow this is part of what God has for me today. What is God's will for you? Sometimes we are so committed to finding our own will that that we're constantly bouncing around looking for something different instead of walking with God in our particular situation where he has us. What is God's will for me right now? I realize that that might be a complicated question, but I know this, that he's faithful to us. He walks with us. He's kind and merciful. He loves us so much so that he sent his only son. And so we can trust him with these days, the rest of our days, as we seek to walk with him. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning, this powerful passage, this exciting and helpful. Uh, God, I do pray that you would teach us to arm ourselves with that same attitude and that we would live looking and wanting Uh, to follow your will in our lives. God, help us to do so. Help us to sort out uh, the days ahead. 
Help us to treat every day as a blessing and realize that it is part of your plan these rest of the days down here and as we look forward to being with you forever. God, do your work in your church. Help us to walk with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.